Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to get kind of an early jump. Seems like Christmas gets earlier and earlier every year, but I want us to get a little bit earlier jump on the Christmas season a little bit today. And so we're going to start uh, kind of a Christmassy type series this morning that'll kind of lead us through, uh, uh, through the Christmas holiday season. Um, but, but Matthew chapter 16, that's where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but Matthew 16 is where we're going to pull the majority of our text from. And so while you're turning there, uh, let's go ahead and let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll dive right in this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be in your house this morning, to be in this place among God's people. And, and Lord, we're thankful not only for this church, but Lord, the, the other congregations spread out throughout our community, Father, that are, are holding services and, and, and proclaiming the name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray this morning that uh, that God, you would be with all the pastors and the teachers and the preachers, Lord, that are ministering this morning, Lord, that you would just give us clarity of speech and of mind, Father, to be able to, to proclaim your word, Lord. And we pray for those that are listening this morning, that, Father, you would just give us ears to hear and, and, and hearts to receive, Lord, the word that you have for us. God, it's so incredible that we have the privilege to sing the songs like we've sung this morning and the countless others that are available to us, the, the songs, the hymns, the spiritual songs, Lord, that remind us of, of what you have done and, and God, remind us of who you are, Lord, and just your magnificence and glory. And Lord, as we sang that last song this morning, my mind just wandered to the place that you rescued me out of. Lord, that there was no shadow you wouldn't light up, no uh, a wall you wouldn't break down, no mountain you wouldn't climb, Lord, that, that, that you were willing to come for me, that even while I was still an enemy, God, you pursued me. And Father, I'm, I'm thankful for that this morning. And Lord, we know today that, Lord, your pursuit even continues for those that, that may today appear enemies of yours. That, Father, your never-ending, unstopping, unchanging, always and forever love just pursues God because you wish that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. I'm God, I'm thankful for that gospel call that anyone who calls upon your name can be saved. And, Lord, I pray this morning as we have gathered here together, Lord, and we're getting a little bit of a head start to celebrate uh, your, you, you coming to this earth of God becoming flesh, that God, you would help us to have a firm grasp on our faith and what it is exactly we believe and why we believe it. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that maybe their faith is not yet their own, that God, maybe they can't look back on a time or a season where they surrendered to you and that they know for certain this morning that you are their Lord and Savior that God, today might be that day that they, could, they can know that and they can walk out of here confident knowing that they are a child of God. Father, we thank you for our time here together this morning. God, we ask that you would bless it in everything that is said and everything that is done. For it's in Christ's name we ask it all. And God's people said, amen. Uh, as we kind of start this morning, I want to begin with this. Uh, there, there, we're going to look at a story where there's this, this popular teacher and in fact, this teacher is so popular that, that the venues that he would speak in could not even hold the multitudes that were coming to hear what he had to say. In fact, on, on, on the, the story that's going to kind of launch us in this morning, uh, this teacher is inside the, the, the room of this house. 
And, and on this given day, that the, the, these religious leaders and these political leaders, they had all gathered together to hear this particular man teach. And the crowds were astonished. And all these people that are gathered together have one question on their mind. Who is this man? That question, it was permeating every, the, the culture, the society, the region. Who was this man who was teaching and doing the things that he was doing? There was a group of friends who had, had heard about this teacher had heard about the things that he was, the miracles he was performing, the words he was speaking, the claims he was making. And they had this friend that, that from birth had been a paralytic. And they knew in their hearts and minds, if they could just get this guy to this man, that he would be able to do something to affect the life of their friend. And so they load him up on a, on a stretcher, a cot, and they carry him over to this house. And then when they arrive at the house, it is so full that people are standing outside the house and the, the windows and the doorways are all filled. But they know they have to get their friend to Jesus. They have to get him in to see this teacher. But they know that these religious leaders and that aren't going to give up their seats on the front row to allow this cripple to come in. See, in the minds of these Pharisees and religious leaders, this cripple was punished because of some sin that he had committed. So they weren't going to give up their seat. And so these friends have to get a little creative. And so they, they're looking around and they devise a plan. And in homes in Bible times, there'd be a staircase or an access way to get up onto the roof. And so they they, they carry their friend. Can you imagine the task it would take to, to carry their friend up a couple stories at least to get him on this roof? And then as the teacher is teaching below, they began tearing out the panels of this roof. They don't know who this person's house is. They just begin tearing these, these, root, these, these panels away and digging through the, the dirt and the mud and to get down to, to where they could, they could see the people down below. And as the teacher's teaching, I can just imagine there being dust kind of falling from the ceiling as they're digging this roof out. And as the teacher's teaching... All of a sudden, this cot begins to be lowered from the middle of this roof, and it comes and it rests right in front of Jesus. Jesus standing there, and he's looking at this man, and of course, the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders and the political leaders, they're all watching to see what happens. So they've all heard the claims, but many of them are there witnessing things for the first time, and this man's lowered down, and Jesus sees him and he sees the condition that he's in and he looks at him and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees, being the Pharisees and having to have a judgmental, critical attitude about everything, they look at him and they ask the question, they say, who is this man? And they say something about who does he think he is about being able to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And, and they go on. And Jesus, here's this, it, it, this might be the most incredible thing. Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, turns to them and say, you know, what is easier? To, to say to a man, or something along, to say to a man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, take up your mat and walk. And he says, just so you'll know, just so you'll know, he turns to the man, he says, take up your mat and walk. And the man rolls his mat up and he stands up and he walks out of this, this, this house. 
for the first time in his life. Now think about the, the, that, that just the imagery of that. Here is this guy, lame, gets lowered down, and Jesus says, first, your sins are forgiven, and then just to, to prove his power, he says, take up your mat and walk. And in, the, in, the, in this crowd of people, this young man stands up and he walks out. And everybody's left asking this question, who is this man? Then later on, and it may have been a few months later, but later on, we find Jesus invited to, the, to this dinner at another religious leader's house. And in, in Bible times, it was customary that he would invite guests into, this house, into their houses. And then if you were an uninvited guest, you could stand around the outside of the dining, ta- the dining room or the, the, wherever they were eating, and you could listen in on conversations, but you were under no circumstances to ever interrupt. You were an uninvited guest, and you were to just stay on the periphery. But during this particular meal, on this particular day, there was a particular young woman who was in attendance that day. And as the conversation's going and as courses are being served, overcome with emotion, she makes her way from the edge of the table or the edge of the room to the table right where Jesus is sitting. And she drops to her knees at Jesus' feet and tears begin to flow from her, from her eyes. And as they fall, they fall on Jesus' feet and she begins to wash his feet with her tears and she begins to dry his feet with her hair. And then she pulls out of her pocket this this ointment, this oil, and this jar. And it was very costly to her. In fact, it was probably the most expensive possession that she owned. And she takes that and she breaks the jar and she pours the entire contents on Jesus' feet. He too looks at her and says, you've been forgiven. The Pharisees, they're looking around going, who is this guy? Who is this man? Even the disciples themselves find themselves perplexed and confused about exactly, I mean, they knew Jesus was special. They witnessed some things that nobody else could have ever seen. So they know there's something different, but even they didn't understand who he really was until an account we see in Mark chapter four. In Mark chapter four, we find that Jesus tells the disciples to get on a boat. They're gonna cross, go across the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is not a big, it's not a, it's not a sea. In fact, it's nothing even like Lake of the Ozarks. It's about three and a half miles wide. It's about seven and a half miles long. It's like a sliver in this, and it's literally, there's mountains on every side. It's beautiful, but we would call it a pond or a lake in Missouri. So they're getting in this, this boat and they're crossing. I mean, you can see the shore from wherever you put in, you can see the shore from any angle. Now, understand that because they get in this boat and they're about halfway across and a storm blows up. And these are seasoned fishermen and this storm is so intense, the boat is taking on water and they're, and they're bailing water just as fast as they can. And, and they finally, they go to Jesus and they, they wake him up and he's sleeping in the hall and they wake him up and say, Jesus, do you not care that we're perishing? We are going to die. Now remember, this is not, you can see the shore from every side. So the storm, this is intense and they think they're gonna die. And Jesus walks up in the bow and he looks at the wind and the waves and he says, peace, be still. 
And like that, that water is smooth as glass. You see, they, that lesson that they learned that they wouldn't soon forget, all of a sudden, all these miracles that Jesus was doing were for other people. I was merely a witness. So if I'm a disciple, I'm merely a witness of what God's doing in the lives of other people. But in this instant, it was the disciples' lives that were in danger. You see, in this instant, it was personal. They personally experienced the power of Jesus. Now, you may be sitting here this morning, and maybe you don't have that relationship with Christ. But let me tell you something. There is, if you talk to a person who has been saved, genuinely been saved, you may not completely understand. But the person who has personally experienced the power of Jesus, you'll never change their mind. You won't do it. There is something about personally experiencing the Lord Jesus. And even the disciples, after this miraculous event happens, even the disciples are asking, who is this guy? Who is this? Like they're, they're not fully comprehending the significance of who Jesus was. Later on, we find that Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. Of course, they've all heard the rumors. They know exactly what's going on. But you know, their problem was is they could think back to when Jesus was a little guy. We can remember Jesus when he was running around in Mary's skirt. We can remember Jesus when he was just a young kid bashing his thumb on, with the hammers and the nails in Joseph's carpentry shop. We remember him then. But if Jesus arrives and all of a sudden they begin to realize that all the rumors are true, his works are genuine. And they're asking themselves, who is this? We thought we knew him but now we're seeing something completely different. You see, what they were learning was that Jesus was no ordinary man. You see, people today, just like people then, still react to Jesus in the same way. They, they, they discount or they, or they write off his miracles or they accept the miracles, but they attribute them to something evil or magic or something else entirely. Or they accept them, they accept the miracles, but they reject the one who brought them. This would often be the people that don't want to hear anything about having a saving relationship with Jesus. But as soon as something bad happens, they want people to pray and pray and pray. Or they just recognize that Jesus was a very special man. But this same question comes back to us today. Who is this guy? Who is this man that we read about, that we study about, that we preach on every Sunday, that on Wednesday we study on Sunday school classes? Who is this man, Jesus? And, and, and what do we do with him? What is the proper response to what Jesus has done and the claims that he has made? What do we do with him? You see, Jesus does not leave us any room for any sort of middle ground. You see, he, he did extraordinary things, but he also made an extraordinary claim. That he, what, did he just do the miracles, 
But his mere profession that he is the son of God makes us, leaves us no, no middle ground. In fact, let's look at the text this morning. Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 13, is, or ver, chapter 16, verse 13 is where we're going to be at this morning. I want to set the stage a little bit. So the, so the, the Jesus' ministry is, 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 is reaching this crescendo, right? The magnitude of his ministry is taking off. And people everywhere are asking this question, who is this man? And so Jesus, in this moment, he's sitting down with the disciples. And in this climax of his ministry, he looks at him and he says, who do people say that I am. We can read the text here that they come into Caesarea Philippi and he asks his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, uh, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so they're looking around and they're just having this casual conversation about what other, who other people think Jesus is. But then he makes it personal, right? Jesus will always make it personal. He flips it on him and he looks at him and he says, who do you say I am? And he's and that you is plural. He's asking them as a group, who do you say I am? Now think about this for a minute. Take into account this idea that these guys have seen a lot they have experienced a lot, and they're and, and I'm just sure that they're they're looking around at each other, kind of doing like the 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 dying fish thing. They want to say something, but they're not really sure what what we would call the Sunday school answers. What is the right answer to this? Until finally, there's one in the midst of them that's brave enough, Peter, and look what he says uh, in, in in verse 14 or, or verse. Uh, um, 16. He says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The son. Now we've got to understand right now what Jesus is, or what Peter's saying here, because this word son carries with it a little different idea than what, like I have a son. I have a boy that was born to my wife and I, I have a son. But in Bible times, this word son carried a much deeper, much weightier meaning. You see, the word son in Bible times meant that you, were, you, you shared all of the father's uh, qualities and then you inherited the father's privileges and his, and his power. So when you said you were a son of somebody, it carried the power, the prestige, the, the privilege, the qualities, everything about it. And who did Peter say? You are the son of the living God, the God that Jews have been worshiping for, for hundreds and thousands of years, the, Jew, the, the God that, that lived, the creator God. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus doesn't correct him. In fact, he praised him. If you keep reading here, Jesus answers him in verse 17. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. That this was a spiritual truth that God had revealed to Peter. And now through his word reveals it to all of us that this is not an ordinary man and that Jesus does not leave us any middle ground. And, and what we find today is that oftentimes we try to take this intellectually balanced approach that we concede that Jesus in fact walked this earth. We will concede that he is a moral or a, he is a, 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 a historical figure that lived as surely as you and I live. 
that we will, we will agree that he was a great moral teacher. But then we come to a dilemma. C.S. Lewis made the dilemma famous when he says, when he says this. He says something along the lines of this. He goes, he said, we cannot say that Jesus was a great moral teacher knowing the claims that he made. A great moral teacher does not make the claims that Jesus made, specifically that he is the son of God. So he's, and, and so to, to abbreviate the dilemma, he says he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. Like it's, it's those things. And then he goes on and he, and he says this, either a man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. That Jesus either is the son of the living God or he's, or he's a man, he's a lunatic. Because normal people don't make that claim. But then you take the claims and you start looking at what happened and the eyewitness accounts. You go to the Gospel of Luke and Luke is interviewing these people like, a, like an investigator and he's giving the same things and he's recording the same miracles that are happening. You look at the modern day miracles of salvation and just the life change that happens when a person gives their life to Christ. Like there is something to this. Who is this guy? Who is he? And what, what should I do with him? In John chapter one, we, we begin the gospel. And I love the way, it, it, there, there's a beauty in, in, in the way that, that John begins his book. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word logos was with God and the word was God. And, and that logos is making a reference to Jesus for the people that he's writing this to. He was, in the, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus had a part in creation. There was nothing made apart from Jesus. Like, and, and so what's John telling us here? He's saying Jesus is this eternal figure. He exists eternally. You cannot say, when was Jesus born? because Jesus has always existed. We celebrate Christmas because there's something significant happened. Look down at verse 14. Well, let, let, hold on a minute, let me continue reading. You hold 14, let me read verse three. All things were made through him, without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now remember, this word refers to Jesus. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God made flesh. It is him leaving eternity, leaving heaven and coming to this earth in the form of man for a specific purpose, to achieve a goal. And that goal was to die for the sins of all mankind. That we could have a saving relationship with the Father. He was God in the flesh. The apostle Paul wrote, he is the image of, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is to before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he went on to write, For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That means all of God existed in human flesh in the form of Jesus. Before Jesus became a man, he was the word by which the utterance, let there be light, resulted in the existence of light. He created the world long before entering it as a baby in a stable in the town of Bethlehem. But who is this man? He is Jesus of Nazareth. He is God in human flesh. He is the savior of the world, the forgiver of sins. He is the light of life, and that light is the life of men. That is who he is. And this morning, we got to celebrate as as students gave their lives to him. And the Bible tells us we must have faith like a child. And it doesn't mean that we know everything. It doesn't mean that we understand everything. But it is a simple faith that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Blessed are you, Peter. And you know what? For us this morning, the same thing needs to happen in our life that happened in the life of Peter in that moment when Jesus said, who do you guys say that I am? You see, this morning, we have this thing called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit right now is bearing witness in our hearts that everything that has been read this morning and everything that has been said is true that Jesus is not an ordinary man. He was not just a great moral teacher. He was, he was not a, just a historical figure. He is the living son of God who came and was born of a virgin and died on a cross, a, a, a sinless, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again on the third day so that you and I, that we could have life. And it demands a response. And the response isn't, well, I'll do something with it later. Or the response is not, well, let me get some things in order first. And then the response is that we just surrender to him as Lord and Savior because of who he says he is. Because of what he's given us as proof. Because we can look around this morning and we can look at lives that have been radically transformed and radically changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power that Christ delivers to us upon salvation. And there's no better way to to celebrate the Christmas season than to celebrate it by surrendering to the one for the reason we even celebrate it. We turn it into a lot of different things. We make a lot of different emphasis, but there's no greater emphasis than us surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. There's no greater emphasis than us keeping the focus of the season on the one who we celebrate, God himself becoming flesh and coming here, part of the Trinity. And what a blessing that is to know that God, listen, that God loved you and I so much that he came came to this earth and lived a life among us who went to the cross for us, died in our place, bore our sin, our shame, our guilt. And that man rose again on the third day. Who is this man? This man is Jesus. 
And he's the same one that is pursuing you this morning. He's the same one that desires that you would not perish, but that you would come to repentance and have everlasting life. It's Jesus. There's no other answer. There's no other way. This morning, you may have come in here searching, looking for answers. I'm telling you, the answer is Jesus. You may have come here this morning and you just want a way out. You want a way to freedom. You want this, you want that. You just want a plan. I'm telling you, it's not a plan. It's a person. And don't fall in the trap this morning and say, well, I need to get some things right before I, can, before I can get saved. You don't need to get anything right. You can come just as you are. And he will accept you and receive you just as you are. And then, and then he'll help you in whatever it is you need help with. He just wants you to come. And man, it is so simple. It is so, this is all he says. He says, if you'll believe with your, if you'll believe with your, your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And he says, anyone, I love that anyone. It means literally anyone, anyone who calls on his name will be saved.